the first time I brought an idea to him, he listened to it. And then he said, you know what, Andrew, it's not, you know, we're not going to, like you said, we're not going to go in this direction at this time. But then he says, but I don't want to discourage you. If you have other ideas or if you ever have something you want to bring to my attention, don't be afraid. Don't be hesitant to come and see me. This is the Get Med Savvy podcast on a mission to empower individuals to make more informed choices through practical discussions of medicine and the business of healthcare. With your host, Tiffany Ryder. Just a reminder, although I am a licensed healthcare clinician, my ramblings here are just that and should never be construed as medical advice. The primary care team are the real heroes, and you should definitely check with yours. Now, here's Tiffany. Hey everyone, I am so excited to share with you an interview that I had the opportunity to record a couple of weeks ago with Andrew Stout. Andrew is an HR professional who lives in Canada and hosts a podcast on HR-related topics called Let's Be Diverse. And that's actually how we connected on LinkedIn. Andrew is super passionate about creating a workplace that actually works for employees and is where people feel understood and included and as if they're in a safe environment where they're able to come in and work hard and contribute and get things done so that they can change the world in whatever way they do that. Uh, So what follows is an in-depth discussion on diversity of thought and it's playful and fun and talks about the concept and the, um, the benefits to creating this type of environment in the workplace. And I don't know, I just really, really enjoyed it and thought it was just insightful and fun and enjoyed the HR perspective. And so I'm just really happy to share it. So anyway, hope you like it too. To have her on as a guest. And today we do. Welcome to the show, Tiffany. It is so great to have you on today. I am so happy to be here, Andrew. Thanks so much. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on here today. Like I said, we've been talking for a while, and today is the day. How are things with you? What's new? Things are good. It's uh, it's a little different for me to be recording a podcast on a Saturday morning, but I was happy we were able to, you know, find time to get something on the schedule. I uh, I love what you're doing with your podcast, and I'm just really excited about having this conversation and being able to support the work that you're doing here. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your kind words. They are thoughtful and kind. So thank you very very much. So before we begin, Tiffany. I always have a fun question to ask my guests to get things going. Yeah, you, always are, scary. I'm, yes. I'm scared but ready. <laughs> are you, are you I ready, mean, you're ready for yours. Ready as I can be. <laughs> okay, Tiffany, here we go. Your question is, is a hot dog a sandwich? Why or why not? Oh my gosh, this is like the most fun question I could have imagined. (laughs) Is a hot dog a sandwich? Why or why not? Correct. I'm going to go with no. A hot dog is not a sandwich. And my answer is, is me specific. But I will say that I think the, the excitement and fun of eating sandwiches is all in the crunchy things that you can put on it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, 
I like lettuce on my sandwiches. I like mm-hmm. Doritos on my sandwiches. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not sure that you can get away with that with a hot dog. And I know people try with the hot dog relish to uh, approach the yummy crunchiness of sandwiches, but I don't, I don't think it, it fits the bill. Mm. That's my answer, Andrew. I'm sticking to it. (laughs) I love that answer. So I will share with you, I did a taping with a guest last week. And her question was, I asked her if cereal was soup and why or why not. And her and both of your answers were unexpected to me because I did not expect either of you to actually go so thoroughly into thought of your answer and I just love it. I just yeah. love that you got right in there, gave your description of what the difference is between a hot dog and a sandwich, what you enjoy <laughs> on your sandwiches. I just loved it. That was awesome. Well, I'm uh, very much looking forward to you publishing this episode about the cereal and the soup because now I'm emotionally attached to knowing this guest's opinion. <laughs> Yes. Her answer was, I would have to say, just as to the point as yours. Yeah. So yes, it was, I'm thoroughly impressed for sure. Well, there you go. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having so much fun with me. I enjoy those questions. So thanks so much. Why don't we start off with you telling us a little bit about you and your story, Tiffany? Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, To be honest, it's It's pretty funny. I was thinking about this moment uh, this morning and was thinking, I don't normally do this part. So I spend a lot of time sitting in your seat being the podcast host and just not really talking about me. So uh, (laughs) it's sort of a a weird transposition. But, um, Mm. But I've been involved in really in health, medicine and fitness for over 20 years now. I grew up in rural Louisiana from a very modest means, very modest place, and actually found myself in a situation living across the country and seeking, you know, bigger and better and greater things like many young adults and, uh, and was able to work my way into a professional athletics, uh, position. And so, you know, for me, that was a big change, uh, in the way that I was living my life. And I had had some medical stuff going on. Um, I hadn't been very active. I actually had gotten married and had a child very young and um, just wasn't in a place of physical wellness and sort of fell in love with exercise and learning more about my body and taking care of myself. And then ended up in this position where I was dancing professionally. And that really changed my perspective mm-hmm. on the control that we have in our own lives over our own bodies and mm-hmm. it was a really empowering experience for me. Mm-hmm. And from there, you know, we had... Uh, a lot of opportunities to volunteer with the organization that I was with. And I volunteered for USO events. So at the time, it was the war in Iraq and Afghanistan was going on. And there were a lot of young men and women coming back to the States from overseas that had been injured in you know, horrific ways, had had you know, really difficult traumas emotionally and physically. And in that volunteer work, I felt drawn to help these peers, essentially, because they were right in my age group. And uh, 
what that ended up culminating in was me doing an internship. I was pursuing my bachelor's degree at the time and doing an internship at Walter Reed Army Medical Center, which was the hospital where uh, these men and women were being sent to directly from overseas. And I wasn't sure what that was going to result in, but it was such a cool place. It was such a cool moment in my life. And that, I think, is really the transformation was was really in my own personal journey of having taken control of my health and then having been put in a position where I was able to care for others. Uh, I was actually in the occupational therapy unit, but you know we were able to go see people who were still in the hospital or who were having surgeries or were undergoing physical therapy. So it was a nice introduction to the world of medicine. And, uh, and you know, I, after that, I, I played around and researched some, did some uh, oncology research. And um, eventually, my dance career took me overseas. And I spent about eight years in Germany, learning German, um, mm. dancing all over it, really interesting sort of strange events. But you know, who cares, right? If you mm-hmm. can get paid to do something you love in a, in a cool place, meeting new people. But I was in my early 30s over in Germany and decided I just can't keep up this pace anymore physically. I was just sort of burning out, you know, trying to, to keep up with the demands of the the physical training and the mm-hmm. you know events and things like that, mm-hmm. and um, and was able to really take a take a step back and say, well, remember that time that you know I decided that I was going to go into medicine. Well, I think this is it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I you know I I actually um, explored medical school at the university in Frankfurt and um, actually spent a couple of semesters there and had the experience of volunteering in a hospital full time, you know, practicing in a, I guess I wasn't practicing at the time, but uh, rounding in, you know, different language with a different culture. And it was just, it was a really interesting experience. But at the end of the day, I didn't feel comfortable being in a place where I couldn't come home, right? Mm -hmm. If I had finished up there, I didn't have the security of knowing that I could ever come home and live near my family and practice with people that shared the same culture and language mm-hmm. uh, that I had grown up with. And so at that point, it, you know, I decided I got to I gotta shift gears. I got to do something else. And I came over to the States and um, looking for a position, wasn't sure, did I want to go to medical school? Did I want to go to PA school? And actually found a, a really cool position working for a health and fitness company that was doing some research with Johns Hopkins uh, cardiology. Mm. And they were looking at patients who had metabolic syndrome, which is mm. this, this grouping of symptoms where you have some blood sugar dysregulation and some problems with blood pressure and high cholesterol, things like that. And it was a really empowering place to be in because mm-hmm. I had all of these people who were, you know, were very accustomed to mentorship, you know, workplace culture at Hopkins is very supportive of mm-hmm. mentorship and, and continued learning. And, and it was a unique position to be in. And it was from there that I decided that I should go ahead and continue my education, became a PA, jumped into the field of emergency medicine, because that was the most interesting for me at the time. 
but I didn't lose that desire to make the world a better place mm-hmm. and and found that practicing in the emergency room was a really great way to help people one-on-one, mm. but was never going to give me that satisfaction of feeling like I was able to actually move the needle to change things in a way that supported people to feel empowered like I had felt empowered 20 years before when I had uh, really put in all that time and effort into becoming more fit, becoming more healthy and and addressing my physical health. And so, so that's kind of the place where I am right now, where I am really enjoying working with different teams, um, different communities to address workplace culture and make it a safer, more... I guess, healthy and facilitate, you know, good mental and physical health for the people that are involved in those communities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've got my hands in a, in a lot of different buckets and I still love medicine, but, um, but that's, that's, uh, that's the direction that I'm headed now. Hmm. What an amazing story. I absolutely loved it. I was just in awe of listening to everything that you were saying there. What has impressed me, the first couple of things that came to my mind was your adaptabilities, your ability to adapt to every situation that you were in in your working career, whether it was your dancing, performing, your medical profession, leadership, you seem to adapt to every situation. And I commend you because not very many people would be able to adapt to that story. A lot of people would have been discouraged or not know where things were going to end up or Mm -hmm. if they were going to get out of it or if they were going to be stuck doing that for the rest of your life. So you seem like you were able to adapt and always have like an extra plan. Like, okay, well, I can't do this for the rest of my life because my body is not going to be able to go through all the training that you had to go through so you always had to have a plan of what's going to be next so I commend you for that and for me that's a great leadership skill to be able to understand what is the situation now and what could be coming and being able to just find ways to move into the next part of your life so I commend you for that for sure thanks Andrew thank you yeah, and and I think that's really the the nonlinear quality of mm-hmm. my career and my life um, is something that I feel like has really fostered my interests yeah. in contributing to the workplace now. Uh, so I'm thankful for it, and I think that you know a big part of my personal story mm-hmm. is coming from an environment uh, where I did have very limited financial means, where mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily understand how big the world was coming from a a rural environment where um, women in particular, the wonderful women in my life that I was surrounded by were primarily involved in supporting their families. Mm -hmm. Um, Many of them did not work outside of the home. And so I think having had the experience of coming from the environment, which I came from, and then moving to a you know, a state where things look a lot different uh, Mm -hmm. for people and for women. And then having this time that I spent overseas and seeing that it's not a right or wrong. Culture is not a right or wrong question. It's a question of just how things are. And I think that's put me in a good place to be able to be, Mm -hmm. you know, very tolerant, very accepting of change and different opinions and different um, avenues and ways of 
of solving problems. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's part of the reason I'm so passionate about diversity of thought in particular, mm-hmm. but, uh, mm-hmm. but other things that are related to that. Mm. So speaking of a diversity of thought, Tiffany, I want to know in your opinion, what diversity of thought is to you? Yeah, yeah, it sounds really fancy. I think it sounds like a, a very complex, very elevated intellectual thought, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like topic. Mm-hmm. But essentially, I just look at it as a fancy way to say that I accept that there's more than one way to think about something. Mm-hmm. And I think what's behind that is creativity. So I don't know how it is in Canada, mm-hmm. um, but I know in America, you know, we talk a lot. You hear Americans talking a lot, whether it's on the news or at a barbecue about diversity initiatives. And, you know, some people are saying that we should be championing more diversity initiatives. Some people are tired of hearing about it. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of polarized discussion mm-hmm. um, surrounding the topic of diversity and For me, I just look at it as if we have a problem to solve, which essentially I believe that every philanthropic initiative or business initiative is really based around this theme of there is a problem to be solved in the world and perhaps there are better ways that we can be solving it. I think that's Mm -hmm. how companies are successful. And when I look at diversity, it just is reflective of the fact that you're unique identity and culture and experiences that you've had provide you with a different perspective and a different way to look at Mm -hmm. problems. And, you know, whether that's because you grew up with your skin being a different color than someone Mm -hmm. else's skin or your gender is different or your, you know, whatever that may be, I think it really puts us in a unique place to solve problems. And I think that's, you know, really what we're talking about when we're talking about diversity of thought. Mm, I just love that. When I talk to somebody and if I'm getting in a discussion in a meeting or with friends on a specific topic, I always say to people, I respect your opinion. I understand what you're trying to say and I respect it. All I ask is that you listen to mine and respect my thoughts and my opinion. Even though they're going to be different, like you said, I just ask that you respect it. Don't expect that you are now going to change your mind, but just respect and understand mine. And I will understand to the best of my abilities and respect yours. Absolutely. I mean, I think that in all aspects of life, there's there's really just no other way to be. Mm-hmm. Because the alternative is believing that you know everything. And it mm-hmm. it baffles me on a regular basis um, when I end up engaging with people, like you said, right? It could be online, it could be in person, it could be at work or socially. And people are convinced 100% beyond the shadow of a doubt that the information and their perception of reality is... Mm-hmm. true. And, you know, I'm sure that I I also do that without without meaning to at times. Um, But I feel like, you know, how much better of a world would we live in? How, how much higher quality solutions could we present to the marketplace? And how much more empathy could we have if there was that humility, just sort of strung through the experiences that we have? So yeah, it's interesting. 
It is. I like you. I talk to a lot of people online, over the phone. I always make it a point to have connection calls with people that I've met on LinkedIn to build rapport. And I hear a lot of people telling me that they have leaders or they've dealt with leaders who are very strongly opinionated and they're not looking, you mentioned the word creativity earlier, they're not wanting to be creative or they're not thinking of creativity. They're thinking that their thought is their thought and their way is their way and they just want you to do that. And I get that. When you are starting in a new position, you know, majority of companies, the leader will talk to the new candidate and they'll say, listen, this is what your expectations are. This is what I expect of you, which is great because you understand what your expectations are. But I do believe that a leader that will accept creativity from their employees and coming up with new ideas, sure, there's going to be some times where the leader is going to say, no, I don't think that that would be good. But as long as they're open I think the creativity will continue because I think people will continue to come up with ideas. Say, okay, well, they said no to this last time. Well, maybe I'll just kind of look at the idea. Maybe I'll try to redo it or come up with different scenarios with it or come up with a new idea and I'll approach them with it. But as long as you're open to creativity, I believe that your organization can only be successful. I mean, I couldn't agree more with that. It's, it's, from a leadership perspective, I think it's all about being open-minded and realizing that they're just, there's no limit to the ways that we can look at a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's been, there's been some research. I'm a, uh, I'm really into the neuroscience research mm-hmm. just as a, uh, a fun thing to read about, not professionally, but personally. Mm-hmm. And there's been some research into, you know, the way that our minds solve problems and that Mm -hmm. sometimes the best thing to really induce creativity is your mind being exposed to a question. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love that about what you just shared is sometimes the answer is, I'm sorry, but this is the way that we need to move forward at this time. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that that discussion that that leader had with whomever it was that had the, you know, the alternate viewpoint doesn't have the potential to really get into that leader's brain and, Mm -hmm. and, and to the P the other people in the room. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and it really just creates this um, domino effect, I think Mm -hmm. of, uh, of looking at things in a different way and considering alternate questions and alternate possibilities. And, and I think that that's not unimportant by any stretch. For sure. I like I had a leader years ago who I brought ideas to. And the first time I brought an idea to him, he listened to it. And then he said, you know what, Andrew, we're not going to like you said, we're not going to go in this direction at this time. But then he says, but I don't want to discourage you. If you have other ideas, or if you ever have something you want to bring to my attention, don't be afraid, don't be hesitant to come and see me. Just because I didn't think that this idea was good doesn't mean that your next one is going to be good. Or if you revised this idea, that it won't be good next time. So he kind of encouraged it, which I loved. Yeah. Because then I, you know, wasn't shut down like, okay, well, I'm not gonna bother anymore. Like he said no to me, I'm not going to bother. He encouraged me to continue to come up with ideas. And I'll admit some of them were crazy hair schemed ideas that they probably wouldn't work, but (laughs) my creativity was coming out. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that's the best thing you can do for a team. Right. And maybe you're, maybe that idea 
really would never work, right? We're never going to revisit that and, and do that thing. Right. But, but the action of, of making sure that you knew that this was a safe space and that sharing ideas was welcome and, and you were free to do so means that maybe the next idea that you have that could be a company changing idea, right? Like could, could double your, you know, your revenue or something exactly. like you're, you're going to come to that leader with that. And I think that's the, that's the powerful part of it. Mm-hmm. So do you think that leaders, we just talked about it a little bit, but do you think that leaders consider diversity of thought? Hmm. I think that's a great question. And I think I have a couple of, of ways that I could answer it, but mm-hmm. I think that leaders, good leaders likely try to, right? It's uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's on the menu. They know that diversity is good. They, mm-hmm. they value it. It's something that we've accepted in this culture, but right. I don't know that it's, always easy to really focus in on the aspects of diversity um, as a whole. So, you know, my, my personal experience with this, and this is a, you know, a personal real life story more than a, you know, professional interaction that I'd had. But during COVID, the public schools that we had here, um, many of them were closed for a long time. And I was working in the hospital and just really did not have a lot of options for what to do with my teenager, who at the time was really just too young to stay at home by herself. Um, Childcare wasn't really an option, but also bringing her into the hospital was also not an option, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't live near near family. It was just, it was a really challenging situation for me. And, um, and I remember looking into different options for, you know, school placement that I could possibly, you know, enroll her in so that she would have somewhere safe to be while I was at work. Um, and that would work in this, in this whole situation. And I ended up finding a place that really championed diversity. Um, they, you know, they had all sorts of information on their website. I went and met with them and they said, oh yes, you know, we really value diversity and, you know, here's what we do and here's how we handle it. And here's how we select our teachers and students and all of this. And I was really excited about this, patted myself on the back. I was really proud. And then, you know, and then there's the reality of how things went. And I can say that this school just had a beautiful collection of racial diversity. So that was, you know, fantastic. I was really satisfied with that. They had, you know, obviously there were, there were boys and girls there. So I guess that's not obvious because some of these schools are (laughs) only one gender, but there were boys and girls there. Um, Their teaching staff had, you know, lots of uh, different ages, So I thought, you know, I really valued that there were younger teachers who were just out of school. And there were also teachers who were nearing retirement. I thought that offered, you know, really great variety of in in the diversity of thought. But something that really lacked was socioeconomic diversity. Mm. And it was interesting because it wasn't something that I realized would have such a large effect. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And they even had, you know, there were students from from different countries. And I don't mean their parents were from different countries. I mean, they lived in different countries and then, you know, had moved there. So it was like, it really clicked all of these boxes. Mm -hmm. But because the socioeconomic diversity wasn't there, I didn't get a lot of the benefits that I'd hoped for Mm -hmm. having her in that environment. She's since, you know, moved on. She's somewhere else. And and that's fine. But it, I just think it's a great example of even when you go into a situation, whether it's in your personal life or your professional life, and you're going into that situation actively trying mm-hmm. to champion diversity, actively trying to make sure that you're in an environment that is providing all of these different perspectives and variations to the way that you can look at life, different cultures, different identities, different experiences, um, it's still easy to miss, still easy to miss things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, do I think that leaders consider it? Most successful leaders probably do consider it. And I Mm -hmm. would say that most successful leaders miss the mark to some degree. So I I don't think Mm -hmm. that this is a topic that has exhausted its utility. I think it's something that we really need to continually focus on and continually Mm -hmm. calibrate to make sure that we're benefiting and that our organizations are benefiting from a variety of perspectives. I love that because I do think that your traits are what you grew up with. So for example, I grew up in a environment with my family where my dad, you know, taught me to, when you're at a friend's house, uh, say, be appreciative, say thank you for stuff, say thank you for having me over, thank you for inviting me for dinner. You know, I would say, you know, Mr. and Mrs. until they said it was okay to call them by their first name. And even then, I still still couldn't do it. I was just so (laughs) so ingrained, like, you know, I could be like, there's still parents of uh, family members, uh, friends of mine that I see, and I still call them by, you know, Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so, and they're like, oh, my God, like, you're in your 50s, Andrew. You can call me by my first name. I'm like, I know, but I just can't do that. I just, it's just, I'm, I'm just, I, I, yeah. you know, like, I, it's just enthralled in my brain, and it's a trait that I was brought up with. And I do believe that leaders come in different facets, and both my parents had great leadership skills in different areas, and yeah, I'm thankful for that. But not everybody had that or not everybody has had the opportunity yeah. to have that. So their traits are going to be a little bit different. So when they put into a situation, I believe, where they are in a leadership role, a lot of times they go with what not their trait, but what they know or what they think sure. they should do. So if they're not brought up in a caring or compassionate or thought-provoking lifestyle or way... They're going to come in and they're going to be, I'm the manager now, I have to be hard. I have to be tough. I have to be strict. And I was talking to somebody this past week and they were saying that they feel like in the next, you know, in five years from now, if you were not an authentic leader, you're not going to be a very effective leader because the world is changing. People are changing. And you mentioned the pandemic I think it opened up people's eyes and they now expect more and they want more. Not that they didn't before. Sure, sure. But they expect way, way more from their families and from their employer and their place of work. So, yeah, I think that Absolutely. it's going to be important for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's funny you said, you know, if you didn't grow up with a certain experience, like maybe you don't even think about it. And we talk about this in medicine, especially, I mean, I don't know, I've spent my career in emergency medicine. So that's the the field I'm comfortable with. But, you know, we say the most dangerous thing that could happen to your patient is the thing that you don't know that you don't know, mm-hmm. right? Like it's it's not the questions that you ask that maybe you're still figuring out what the answers are. Or you're figuring out how you want to deal with it. The right. most dangerous question is the one that isn't asked, the one that right. didn't even cross your mind, right? And I think so the sure. same is true for leaders. If you're aware that you've got a blind spot, then you pay attention to that blind spot. But I think the scary thing is that, you know, a lot of times it takes us a while to become aware of our blind spots or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's a lack of interest in, in ever even doing that. So. Mm-hmm. so to all those people that are listening, our listeners are probably going to be some leaders out there. Why does diversity of thought matter? So, you know, for me as a medical professional, it's it's always about health and, you know, well-being. But I think in a more general sense, diversity of thought matters if you care about the outcomes of mm-hmm. whatever you're doing, whatever mm-hmm. you're spending your life doing. Um, if it's something as, I was going to say something as simple as, but that was probably not the best way to characterize it, but something as simple as parenting, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. trying to raise, um, you know, a good, a good caring citizen of the world. Diversity of thought means that one way, the way that you grow up isn't the only way, right? Mm -hmm. Seeking out alternatives, seeking out how other cultures do it or other um, schools of thought. Correct. Right? This results in a better outcome. And I think you can take that and you can apply it to all sorts of things. You can apply it to any project that you're Mm -hmm. doing in the workplace. Um, If if you think you have the best answer and that's what you go with, sure, maybe your answer is okay. But I guarantee you, if you have 10 people who are willing and feel safe offering alternatives to whatever decision that's been decided on, I just believe that there's no better way to come up with the best outcome, even if the outcome doesn't change. Mm -hmm. After you've had you know, 10 different people expressing alternative approaches or opinions, you can feel more reassured mm-hmm. <laughs> in your decision going forward. And I think a concrete example that affects me in my own, um, in my field, in the field of medicine is <sighs> something like a medication. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to call anybody, anybody out. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Tamiflu we'll say. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, so you know, Tamiflu has some efficacy. It's this antiviral that you take uh, shortly after you've been diagnosed with the flu. And, okay. um, and there's, you know, there's some mixed results on, on the efficacy. But a drug, let's say that you have a drug that perhaps is helpful, but it's not incredibly helpful. Right. And, you know, we all say, you know, we all say that Tamiflu is, you know, the only option that we have because we really, really don't have any options. We have supportive care and we have Tamiflu. But I guess the way that I look at it is if we're not allowed to say that Tamiflu is not the best drug, then we're never going to get a better drug, right? Like if, if I say Tamiflu is the best drug the best antiviral ever. And I love the way it works for the flu and everything's wonderful because 
I'm in an environment where I'm not allowed to say that, you know, well, it would be great if we could get better results or it would Mm -hmm. be great if we could, you know, maybe research a compound that has less side effects or less adverse events or something like that. Then that's as good as it gets. And I think that Mm -hmm. that lesson really applies to all areas of uh, industry and life, right? Like if we're allowed to say this printer works great, but also it gets a printer jam every 10 pieces of paper. And I know that, and I'm allowed to say that then Canon can make a better printer. Right. right? So I, you know, I, I think, you know, for me, dissent and this uh, like respectful discourse isn't about like choosing who's right and who's wrong. It's just about saying, Hey, it's really cool that, you know, we made, we made this step forward But if we're allowed to say that we want more, then maybe we can make five steps forward. Yeah, I think that's that's essentially the value on top of, you know, allowing people to feel, um, you know, heard and valued at work and be, Mm -hmm. you know, have a greater investment in their careers and in their contributions to society that encourage more and greater contributions. I think for me, it's it's the increase the quality of outcomes across mm-hmm. the board from mm-hmm. multiple perspectives and from allowing dissent. For sure. I would say that gender diverse teams are far more productive. I believe myself that the number one quality in a leader is building relationships. And if you build relationships, you're going to see real results. I truly believe that. That's going to build a great team. You're going to show that you're care, you have care, compassion, and it's just going to be a real positive situation and place to work at. Yeah. Absolutely. And I've seen that, you know, it's, I'm going to generalize here. Uh, but in my experience, I, I have worked with many men who approach medicine just from a different perspective than I do. They, mm-hmm. and, and it's not better or worse, but a lot of the men that I've worked with just approach things with more confidence and more gusto, right? Mm-hmm. And, when they are right about, you know, because medicine is not black or white, uh, zero or one, it's like, a, it's a very, you know, continue, there's a continuum there. But when the men are right, and they approach the patient from this place of just absolute confidence, mm-hmm. then that's better for the patient. And when the men are wrong, and they approach the patient from this place of confidence, that's worse for the patient. So, you know, it's really interesting because you can take qualities that different people have, whether they're, you know, linked in some way to their experience or gender or, or whatever it is. Um, but that confidence isn't inherently good or bad. It's dependent on the situation. And I think that I've learned a lot from my male colleagues about how to be more confident mm-hmm. when, you know, and express myself in a different way mm-hmm. that I, I'm not sure that I would have learned in the same way if I had only been in a homogenous group of people who look like me and have similar experiences to me, mm-hmm. um, you know, sitting in a group ideating over, you know, how to do things. And so right. I just can't agree more that that the more diversity uh, that you can surround yourself with in all sorts of situations, uh, the the more you can learn from others. Mm-hmm. With you 100% on that one, for sure. What steps can leaders do to foster diversity of thought? Uh, 
You know, I think that I think that one of the things that leaders and all of us can do is as simple as finding people that you respect, intelligent people that you respect that disagree with you on mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. and engaging with them, reading their uh mm-hmm. reading their thoughts and opinions. Um I think there's a lot of value that comes from exposing yourself to things to ideas that you fundamentally disagree with mm-hmm. and trying to remain open-minded. So I think that's one of the easiest things that you can do because you can do it in the privacy of your own social media, the privacy mm-hmm. of your own newsfeed, um, right? Like practice this skill of mm-hmm. I, you know, will fight till the day I die to say that the sky is blue but that guy over there is really smart, um, you know, objectively or really successful. And he swears the sky is purple, right? And, and like, and sit in that place and see what you can learn from there. So I think that's, um, that's probably the, the number one thing, the lowest hanging fruit. Um, and then I think it's, it's really just making sure that you actually are open-minded and being vocal about that with your Mm -hmm. team, letting your team know that you don't think you know all of the answers. You Mm -hmm. understand that even though you may be 100% convinced that, you know, this is the way that you want to hear dissenting opinions and that you value that. And then finding, finding ways to champion others who do express different opinions. And especially Mm -hmm. when it has, changed your perspective, right? Right. So, you know, finding those opportunities where someone, you know, stepped up and said, well, I think about it this way, and then it improved the outcome. And then Mm -hmm. making sure that everyone knows that you know, that this is what happened. Mm -hmm. And I think those are some powerful strategies that leaders could use to, um, you know, increase the diversity, their tolerance for diversity of thought, and also to let others know on their team, people that they're supervising, whatever the case is, that diversity of thought is welcome and encouraged mm-hmm. and championed in your organization. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with you, finding people with different thoughts and opinions. I think that it'd be great to promote an inclusive and welcoming environment as well. And I think you're not going to agree on everything, but I think just finding common ground, I think, is going to... I'm huge on building rapport, like anybody that knows me knows that I am huge on rapport building. I think it's Mm -hmm. so important. And if you've built rapport with people, anything is possible, anything can happen. Yeah, that's such a great point, Andrew. It really is. It's such a great point. Because if you feel safe, it's a lot easier to just be honest about Mm -hmm. what your concerns are. And when people are able to operate in teams in that way, there's just no way that the organization and the team, you know, is not winning. 100%. If you could choose one word to describe yourself, Tiffany, what word would that be? Oh, gosh, Andrew. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, um, interesting. So I think and I knew you were going to ask me this question because you ask all of your guests this question. I hear it. <laughs> but I was like, well, when the time comes, I'll I'll come up with the uh, with a great answer. So I'm thinking of two. Sure. Um, I think that that resilience mm-hmm. uh, would be a good word for me. I think that mm-hmm. I've um, had a lot of experiences in my life and I don't know why I've been 
gifted with this quality, but it's, it's one of my favorite things about myself is that mm-hmm. I'm able to look at a situation and say, man, this is really hard. Man, this is really terrible. Man, I'm really bad at this. And then take the next step forward. So that's been something that I, I really value. Um, mm-hmm. and I think has, has value in sharing because, because if you're not where you want to be, right? Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this and you're like, Oh man, like I'm not where I want to be in my career or how can I, you know, reach this next step of whatever I'm doing? I think literally that's the only quality that you need. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the other word is, uh, is a connector. I think of myself mm-hmm. as a connector and it's not something that I aspire to be, but I just really enjoy people. So again, if you're listening to this and, and I don't know, maybe I said something that resonated with you or that you have questions about or that I could possibly help you with at some time in the future, absolutely reach out to me, connect with me. I, like you, Andrew, love to meet with people, have a call, say hello. And I like to be the person that says, oh, well, I don't know the answer to that, but I heard a guy talking about this. I'm connecting with this person. Like, can I introduce you? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's like a, a valuable a valuable skill in the world that I wish more of us were willing to do. It's it's just really special to um, have people on your side that are willing to connect. And I would love to be that person for any of your listeners. Tiffany, I love these two words. I know you were not sure what to use when we spoke way, way back. When I booked you in, you knew that it was coming. <laughs> I, knew you were, I knew you were struggling with this. Yep. But I just love those two words for you. I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I respect your adaptability and your resilience. And I just love that word. I just love resilience for you and connector. I truly believe that you are a connector. I felt like you and I, we connected right from the get-go. Yeah. Right from the first five minutes of our conversation, I knew that this is going to be somebody that I'm going to connect with, that I'm going to talk with, that I'm going to reach out to, that I'm going to work with. This is... I totally believe in connecting as well. I have a little surprise for you, though. I came up with a word for you that I Uh think of you. And the word that I came up with for you was impactful. And the reason why you, for me, you were impactful is because you focus on what matters and you do it with care and compassion. So that's the word. And not that I'm saying those other words are not for you, Mm -hmm. but that word for me is what I think of you. I really appreciate that, Andrew. And I I think that that's true, but I think it's true because like you, right? The reason that I think we connected is because I really do have a great investment and love in the idea of supporting others and mm-hmm. sharing my shortcomings and being on this podcast and saying, um, 6,000 times and, you know, and just trying, trying to put that authenticity and, and realness out into the world so that others feel comfortable being whoever they are. Right. And I see you doing that also. And so I think that's, that probably has a lot to do with why we, you know, we're able to connect so readily is that you really have a love and a passion for others, and you're willing to put yourself in uncomfortable situations to empower them. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, that's a great quality in the world and something that I, I hope to see more of. 
No, oh, I appreciate that. Truly means the world to me. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Any final thoughts today? No final thoughts. No final thoughts other than, you know, this is, it's, it's a topic that I'm super passionate about. And I think that it's a different way to think about diversity um, that I'm not sure gets enough press. And so mm-hmm. I just am so thankful you know, that you had me on and gave me the opportunity to really get on my soapbox and talk about how we should all be <laughs> open to the idea <laughs> of listening to people say things that make our blood boil or that we just disagree with. I, um, I appreciate that. So thank you. You are very, very welcome. I wanted to take the time to thank you for taking the time to join me today. I truly love this conversation and I enjoyed having you join me. I think you are one of the most charismatic people that I have had the privilege to meet. I just admire your genuine way of making people just feel so special. Mm. Um, The moment I met you, I admired your sense of humor Uh and your willingness to be positive. So thank you for agreeing to be my guest today and for showing me that you were there to support me and showing others that you're there to support them. I truly admire your grittiness as well. <laughs> Thanks, um, Andrew. You are a woman of uh, that is resilient and hardworking, and I admire that. So thank you so much. Thanks. Is it okay if I offer a shameless plug for my podcast? Absolutely. Awesome. So um, I have a podcast that I talk about different people or I, where I have the opportunity to talk with different people who are sort of thinking outside of the box um, in the health, health and medicine landscape. So I like to introduce people who are just looking at the world and offering solutions that are you know, different than the status quo. And it's called Get Med Savvy. So I would love to have anybody, you know, who enjoyed this conversation is interested in health and medicine to just Mm -hmm. hop over and take a listen. And then I recently launched uh, my website. And you can sort of just pop in there and see what I'm up to. But the website is www.tiffanyrider.com. And so, yeah, I've got speaking arrangements. I'm, t- I'm giving a talk on diversity of thought at the Maryland APA conference in September. Wonderful. And Wonderful. anyway, all that stuff will be on the website if anybody wants to pop in yeah. and just check it out. And just for all the listeners that are listening today, in our show notes, all of Tiffy's contact information is going to be there. And I welcome anybody who would like to connect with her. I actually would love if you connected with her. And I'm sure that you're going to enjoy being a connection with her for sure. She is a true delight. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you so much. (laughs) So on behalf of myself and my guest, Tiffany, I'd like to thank you all for listening. And until next time, everyone, remember... If we all work together, we can accomplish anything. Thanks so much for listening to Get Med Savvy Podcast. To see what we're up to, check us out at www.tiffanyrider.com.